Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Yeah? How many of you guys is your very first time being here? Raise your hands up. Don't worry, we're not going to call you up front, make you perform anything or anything like that. Yeah? Good. We're glad you're here. Yeah? We're glad you guys are here. Um, for those of you who are just who are kind of new here, maybe it's your first time or first few times, or, or maybe it's just been a while, or maybe you don't remember, I'm going to say it again. Could, please, let's, um, let's not have a mentality that just because we walk through doors out there with a cross hanging over them, that we have to somehow become different people than we are in our normal lives, please. Because I promise you, even if you could fool the people in here, the one who matters isn't fooled. He sees you six days a week. It's not like on the seventh he looks down and goes, oh, wow, look at that. He's really something. Look at, look at him. It's, it's, it's not, right? His, his, his opinion of you is the same. If you're in Christ, then it's not contingent on your behavior. It doesn't change day to day based on what you do. It's based on who you are. So he looks at you and he sees you as his child, as his son, as his daughter, six days a week. On the seventh day, he looks at you and sees you as his son, his daughter, his child. And he loves you. And he's pleased with you. Yeah. So... Um, please, please don't feel like you have to come in here and act somber. I think the most irreverent thing that we can do is deny the feeling of joy that we have in the presence of God. I think that, uh, that, that reverence by close, folding our hands and closing our eyes and bowing our heads and looking like somebody just hit us in the face with a bat is, is not reverence at all, honestly. And I'm not saying there's not times where we are just reverent before God and quiet before God, but if that's true, there should also be times where we're excited and happy and joyful before Him because the joy of the Lord is our strength. If you have no joy, you have no strength. And joy doesn't express itself in somberness all the time. Even if we give it that maybe every now and then it's okay to just be somber and quiet and reverent before God. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything. But at some point, there should be an outburst of joy in our lives. There should be something on our face that looks different. There should be a smile. There should be something different about our lives. Because you're born again. You're a new creation. You're not the same person that you were. Everything that was passed away and all things became new. And if all things became new looked just like the all things that were old, what was the point? What died? What changed? Why was it worth the life of His Son? What was worth it if you were just going to remain the same anyways? There should be an excitement. There should be a joy in that. There should be something inside of you that every single day when you wake up is alive and excited because they're not the same person, because you have been born again, because you are a new creation in Christ. Like David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Why? Because anytime David would start getting down, he would remember what God had done for him and who he had called him to be and and all the promises he had made towards him. And suddenly it didn't matter that he was being chased cave to cave by a tyrant leader who wanted to kill him. All that mattered was that he had God and God was his. And he had a great understanding of covenant. We're, we're talking, we've been talking for the first few weeks, and we're going to be talking for a while to come about covenant. But understand, David's idea of covenant makes a lot of our new covenant theology look really, really bad. I'm serious, you guys. We, we can't live our lives as if the, the presence of God is some mythical thing that's so far off, and we have to spend our lives chasing it, and every now and then we get a glimpse of it. David said in the Old Covenant, where could I go that I would escape from your presence? If I made my bed in Sheol, there you are. If I went to the highest mountain, there you would find me. Where could I go to escape your presence? That was the Old Covenant. That was before we had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That was before Christ gave His life on a cross so that you could become one in Christ. 
a new creation and all things pass away and everything become new. And David understood that it wasn't so much that he was pursuing God, but that God was a lover of his soul and was pursuing him. And it'd be really bad if David under the old covenant had a better understanding of God's desire to be with us than we do under the new covenant. If we make it off like it's, it's something that's just so elusive, so hard to find, so unattainable, and we only get glimpses every now and then. Come on, David prayed, don't take your spirit from me, because back then the Spirit of God would just rest upon people, and He would come and go. And now we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. How much greater of a revelation should we have of the glory of God that dwells within us, of the presence of God that's always with us? So rather than making it something we're looking for, how about we make it a reality that we enjoy and experience and remind ourselves of daily? Rather than going chasing after something that's already yours, that's the most frustrating pursuit there is, is to try to find something that you already have. Guaranteeing that you'll never catch it because you've already got it and the only way to enjoy it is to understand what you have. Me and three people are stoked about that. Listen, you guys, and that's another thing too. Um, you know, I don't, not that you have to yell and stuff like that. Maybe you're a really quiet person, but, but if you want to laugh or you want to respond, it's okay. The fun police is not here to drag you off if you smile or if you laugh, I promise. Um, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I, I like when I'm hanging out with my friends and we're all talking, if everybody's having a good time and smiling and enjoying themselves and if they respond to things when, when something's said. And, I don't like when I feel like a cop interrogating people and they just look straight ahead and kind of go. Okay, so let's check out of that, please. And um, God's good. He's good. That's, I mean, He declares His goodness throughout the Word. He's constantly talking about how good He is, reminding us of how good He is, showing us and demonstrating how good He is. He's not an angry chapped old man up in the sky waiting for you to do something wrong so that He can get you. He's up there understanding that Jesus did something right, so He wants to love you. He wants to enjoy time with you. He wants to be good for you and to you. The Old Testament is a written record of how He was with His people. This was before they had right standing with God through the obedience of Christ, and yet He would declare His goodness all throughout it. And then Jesus comes and does nothing but good for people, blesses people everywhere He goes. Look, at read the life of Jesus. It's, it's the most amazing thing ever to read His life and understand that at the end of that life, He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. That Jesus wasn't down here trying to keep the Father back and, and God was in heaven going, well, I'm really mad, but, but maybe if Jesus does something right. It says that God so loved the world that He sent His Son. That Jesus was here because God loved you, not so that He could love you. Jesus came because He loved you, not so that He could love you. I know, but it's in my Bible. Sometimes, sometimes we, 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 we kind of change out those words and we feel like Jesus came so that God could love us. But my Bible says that even while I was yet dead in sin, He sent His Son to die for me because of His great love for me. So there was something about me that He loved long before I responded to the gift of grace that He offered through Jesus. There was something about me that was worth Him sending His Son to die for the chance that I would receive it. And it's not as if he's in heaven looking down and going, okay, they accepted Christ. I can love them now. He sent his son because he loved you. He displayed his love for you. That's good news. 
That's good news. That's why the gospel is called good news. It's why we should be stoked to declare it to people. It shouldn't be something that we have to do. Evangelism shouldn't be something we have to muster up and meet up and have a plan and, and head out into the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying if that's the only way we do evangelism, something's wrong because evangelism shouldn't be something we do. It should be who we are because you carry a message of the good news. And when you open your mouth, the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So if what's inside of you is delight and pleasure with what God has done for you and, and who he is, then when you open your mouth, according to the word of God, that's what's going to come out. Something's going to make you burn. Right, we, 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 we sang that. Come be the fire inside of me. Come be the flame upon my heart. Something's going to make you burn and you'll open your mouth and declare what that is. Not just on Sunday morning when I'm standing up here and not just on Tuesday night when you're out doing evangelism outreach or something like that. It's every single day when you open your mouth out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is speaking. So when you're talking to people, you're declaring what's inside of you. No, no, that's just, no, that's not just. And I'm not saying you can't talk about anything besides the Word of God, but what I am saying is that everything that comes out of our mouth should have the stamp of heaven upon it. Everything. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. It should have the seal of God's love. It should have the, the flavor of heaven upon it. It should have the very breath of God upon what we're talking about. But there's not a separate compartment in our heart for things that have nothing to do with God that we keep separate from Him and we speak from that sometimes and then another compartment that is God's that we speak from sometimes. It says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That means whatever's abundantly in your heart is flowing from your mouth. How can we have conversations for hours with people and never have something about Him come out? I'm just going to jump ahead to something and we'll come back full circle to it. Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 31, He's talking to the Jews who had believed Him. And He said, If you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. How many of us have heard that verse before? How many believe that the truth is what makes people free? It's okay. You can raise your hands on a trick question. I'm not going to make you feel bad for raising your hand and then... Seriously, who's heard that? Who's never heard that verse? How about that? Let's make it easier. Who's never heard the verse Jesus declared that the truth will make you free? Anybody never heard that verse before? There we go. See? So everybody in here believes and has heard from the Word of God that the truth is what makes people free. Every single person does. So when we speak to people and they start telling us about things that are going on in their lives or they start declaring problems that exist in their lives or they start talking about issues that they're facing or that they're having, what comes out of our mouth? Is it always the truth of God's Word without worrying about what they're going to say or are we a little bit like the scouts that went into the king? Okay, listen, just, just bear with me. This isn't to beat us up and show us who we aren't. This is to show us who we are called to be, okay? But, but are we a little bit like the scouts that went in to see the land that God had given to them that came back with a report that said, yeah, the land's great. It's filled with milk and honey and look at the size of the fruit there, but... And then they started talking about the giants and they started talking about the harshness of the land and the size of the cities and the fortresses. And based on that, they gave a report that came back a little bit different. And they said, we're not able to go in and take the land because of these things. Are we a little bit like the scouts that rather than just opening our mouths and declaring the truth, see, Caleb just opened his mouth and declared the truth. He said, surely we are able to go in and possess the land. Why? Because he had truth inside of him. And so when he opened his mouth, what came out was the truth. 
But maybe we are a little bit like the scouts, and when someone's talking to us, we're kind of feeling them out, and we're thinking where they are, and do they are they a Christian? I wonder if they... Or are we thinking about maybe situations that we know have happened in their lives, and if, well, if I say that, maybe they're going to get angry because this or because that. And so we kind of scout it out a little bit before we give our report and decide whether or not we want to actually give them the truth, or do we just want to give them good advice? Because it's the truth that sets them free. It's not your good advice that sets them free. Unless your good advice is the truth. But how many times, honestly, do we answer people or do we hear a conversation going on when we're at our job or at our school or we're hanging out with some friends or we're doing whatever it is and we hear this conversation maybe even going on in the background and we realize there's a lack of truth in that conversation and I know the truth. How many times do we go over and lovingly say, hey, I just have to tell you this and tell them the truth of God's Word or do we decide they don't want to hear that or maybe their reaction won't be favorable. Maybe the way they'll respond to me won't be favorable. Maybe I'll be embarrassed or something like that because they're going to reject me. They're not rejecting you they're rejecting the truth we need to get over ourselves a little bit and understand that if we speak the truth of god's word to people when they reject it they're not rejecting you they're rejecting his truth all we're called to be is the messenger we're not called to bring the increase we sow we water but god gives the increase there has to be sowing and watering though so yeah we would say right the truth is what sets people free we all know that verse these are from jesus's own words from his own mouth he said and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free according to jesus it's truth that sets people free but are we instantly always going to respond to people with truth or do we kind of feel it out a little bit and decide how we're going to respond to people based on the situation based on who they are based on what we think their reaction might be See, it's easy to look back at the spies, right, that went into the land. And we talked about them the last few weeks a little bit. It's easy to look back at the spies that went into the land and say, why would they go in there and not come back and say we can take the land when God said He had given them the land? When God said, I am giving you this land, now go possess it. When God said, I'll drive the people out from in front of you. It started out with faith, right? They left Egypt by faith. They didn't have a map. They didn't have a plan. God calls them out of Egypt to a land that He's bringing them to. He says, I'm taking you to a land that I am giving you. I have Scriptures to back all this up. It'll be legal by the time we end today. He says, I, 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 have, I am taking you out and bringing you to a land that I am giving you. And yet when they get to the land that He is giving them, they go in there and they look around and they decide that they can't have the land. All but two of them, right? Twelve spies go in. Two come back and say, we can take this land. Ten come back. And all they can talk about is the reason why they can't. The, the verse that we... We were studying a little bit last week was Hebrews 3.18. says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It was their unbelief that kept them from entering into something that God had already promised that he was giving to them and told them, I am giving you this land. Now you go possess this land. I've given you this land. I promised it to your fathers and to their fathers to your ancestors. Now you go and possess the land. Go in. I'm driving out the people. Now you go in and drive them out. It's all this weird talk, right, of God doing something and then telling us to do something. Look forward in your Bibles to the beginning of Hebrews 4. This is a continued thought. Chapter 3 is all about the people of Israel not being able to enter into what God had promised them because of their disobedience besides the two. Now he continues that thought. He says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You 
that we have a written record of who you are, God, and who you want to be for us. God, of who you've called us to be, of who you've declared that we are. God, I ask as I speak today that it would be from your heart to my lips, God. That it would not be me speaking, but that you would speak through me, God. Holy Spirit, I ask you open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our, our hearts to, be, to believe that the word would go forth, that we would believe and that it would be mixed with faith in our lives, that it would bear fruit, that it would produce, that it wouldn't just be more knowledge that's counted against us. God, that we would believe your word, take you at your word and live as though it's true. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. So this whole thing of covenant is is God entering into covenant with man and making promises to man and man declares promises to God, you know, and and I'll be their God and they'll be my people and I'll protect and provide and they will trust and obey. And and there's this covenant that starts out with Abraham and God calls Abraham and I've always wondered why Abraham? Why did God choose of all the people on the earth? Why was it Abraham that he chose to make covenant with? That would be the seed of his promise, that the promise would come through Abraham to his seed, which is Jesus and and I realized in, in, in reading through it and in talking through it that there's a really, there's a one word answer that we can give as to why he chose Abraham. And that's one word, it's faith. Faith, right? It says it was counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because he believed, because he had faith. God calls him out of a land where he's dwelling. He has family there. He has friends there. He has all his possessions. He has his livelihood there. His whole way of living is there. And God says, I want you to leave that country and I want you to go to a place where I am taking you. Where where are you taking me? It doesn't matter. You just have to go where I'm telling you to go. Respond in faith. He hears the word of God calling him to leave. He responds in faith even though he doesn't have everything figured out. And it's counted to him as righteousness. And God says, here is a man who has exhibited faith in me and through him I can bless my people. And faith is, is alive, right? It's what allows us to live in the reality of a promise even when we're looking at all the things that say that we shouldn't. It's actually something that's alive. It's not dead. Faith is, it demands and creates response within us, right? There, there, there's no in-between. If we have faith in the promise of God, then we live as though the promise is true even if we haven't seen it come to pass yet. That's what faith does. It allows us to be content while we're still hungry. The Bible says to be content, that it also says to ne- so- knock, seek, and ask. So which is it? Are we to be content or are we to knock, seek, and ask? Yes. Both. Right? But it's faith that allows us to be content and be joyful in the process of seeking and knocking and asking and waiting for the door to be opened for it to be given for us to receive. Faith is what allows us to live as though what we're asking for, what we're seeking out and what we've been knocking on is coming and will come and to live as though that's true rather than delaying our happiness and our ability to be joyful on when it does happen. So many times we live our lives and we delay our ability to be happy and to have joy in our lives off until, well, when God does this, when God does that, when I see this, when I get that, when I go here, when this person, when that person. And what we're saying is, is that right now the promise of God to me does nothing for me because until I see it fulfilled, it does no, no effect over my life. There's no hope until I actually see it. 
Faith says, I will live my life joyfully as though what God has promised is coming and will come and He's faithful. And I don't, tr- I don't judge whether He's trustworthy or not by what I see or what has happened or what has been done already. But I live my life as though He is trustworthy and because of that I can't help but be joyful. If I come to you and I say, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars, then you know that I'm a very wealthy man and you know that I'm trustworthy. And maybe I've done it for other people before. So it's not like it's a weird thing that I would do this. And, and you've heard that I do this kind of thing to people. And I come up to you and I say, you know what? I just, I've seen your life and I've seen how you've worked hard. And I really just want to be able to, to let you enjoy life and to be able to bless other people. And I'm going to give you a million dollars. It'll take a little while. I've got to work out the details with the bank. And I've got to do the transfer, tax paperwork and all that stuff. But I just want to let you know that to check your account soon because it's coming. If I'm trustworthy, if you believe that I have the ability to do what I said and you believe that I will do it, when do you get joyful? When you check your bank account and you see the million dollars in there or when I make the promise to you? When I make the promise. Why? Because I'm trustworthy. Because you have faith. Because you believe. And if you believe, you don't delay living your life joyfully until you see the money show up in your account. It actually brings a measure of joy to your life the minute the promise is made because you actually believe that I'm capable and that I will make good on the promise. So many of our lives, you guys, we live as if, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? The problem is, is that we're called to walk by faith. How much faith does it take to believe what we see? None. So now our life becomes, well, when and if, then I will. And the problem with that is that we're called to be joyful at all times, that the joy of the Lord has our strength, is our strength. That if we ask for something, we have to believe that we will receive it in order to receive it. You can't even receive wisdom from God unless you believe that He'll give it to you. If any of you ask, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives freely and liberally to all. But... When that man asks, he must believe that he will receive. Otherwise, let that man expect that he shall receive nothing. There has to be faith in our lives, you guys. There has to be a level of faith that goes beyond what we see and beyond. And this is what Abraham had. God comes to him and he speaks to him. That should be easy, right? Like, God comes to you and speaks to you. It shouldn't be hard to trust. It shouldn't be hard to believe. It shouldn't be hard to do whatever he's called and asked you to do. You know, we all say that, well, if God would just speak to me like that, So you know where I'm going. If God would appear as a burning bush, well then. If an angel of the Lord would appear, well then. You guys realize that a burning bush didn't convince Moses right away. An angel of the Lord didn't convince Gideon right away. Angel didn't convince Zechariah. It's always in our nature to question and say, well, I don't know about that. I'll believe it when. And so we put a timetable on it for God or we put some kind of litmus test out there and we say, God, I'll believe you when this. And we reserve our ability to be able to be joyful and to be happy people until we receive whatever it is that God we're waiting on from God that He's promised. The problem with that is that that shows that we actually don't have faith, that our faith is based on what we see and what we actually have. And that's not faith at all. Because faith is what? The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Once you see it, you're no longer hoping for it. It no longer requires faith. It's not, it's not like a hard concept to figure out, right? Like you guys are all putting faith in the chair that you're in right now. 
But you are. If it was to collapse, you could get hurt. Land on your tailbone wrong, smack your head on the chair behind you, right? How many of you guys, before you sat down in that chair, turned it upside down, made sure all the bolts were tight, made sure it was sturdy enough to carry you? How many of you really tested it really good before you sat down it? See, you'll trust your health and your well-being to something you've never even tested that's never proven itself to be trustworthy to you. A lot of you guys have never sat in the chair that you're sitting in and none of you gave much thought at all before you plopped yourself down into it. Why? Because you have faith that it will do what it's supposed to do. All God's asking is that we at least have as much faith in Him as we put in the chair that we're sitting in. That's it. He just wants to be trusted even when you can't prove it. How many of you can prove that that chair is, will, is capable of holding you before you actually put your weight on it? How many of you brought the equipment in here to check the PSI, a tensile strength of the legs, all that kind of stuff? How many, honestly, how many of us have the ability to test it before we actually just put our faith in it and sit on it? At some point, you have to go from looking at the chair to deciding, okay, I trust it and I want to sit down. You actually have to take a seat and trust that it's going to do what it, what it is supposed to do. God's asking us that sometimes there's going to be times where you can't test Him in something, where you can't prove something, where it's going to be something that's not seen, and you're going to have to just put your trust in Him and trust that He is not only able, but wanting to do what He's promised to do. And this is what Abraham had, and that's what God's wanting from each and every one of us. It's faith that allows us to live that way. It's faith. Deuteronomy 1.5 Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law. So Moses is now declaring God's word to people. And he's giving them a recount of what happened. He says, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all the neighbors of Arabah, in the hill country and the lowland, and in Negev and the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites in Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you, Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. Here Moses is reminding the people. He's saying, remember when God showed us the land that he desired for us to possess? He said, I'm placing it all before you and I've given this to you. I've promised it to your ancestors. Now you go in and possess it. What was God's desire for these people? It's not tricky. I promise, there's, I promise I won't ask a trick question that you answer out loud. I don't want to embarrass somebody. I did that when I was young at preaching and I learned a valuable lesson. People don't like to be embarrassed. <laughs> so there's no trick questions, right? So God said, go in and possess the land. What was God's desire for the people? Possess the land. Okay, I'm just making sure we're all on the same page. So in Numbers 33, here's another retelling of God's command. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. This is 3350. Um, Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho saying speak to the sons of Israel and say to them when you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places and you shall take possession of the land and live in it for I have given the land to you to possess it. What was God's desire for them? Possess the land. Who, Who gave it to them? When was he giving it to them? For I have given the land to you to possess it. When was he giving the land to them? He had already given it. For I have given. Past tense. 
Not future tense, not I will give. For I have given you the land. So whose land was it? If God's the owner of all things, then it had to be theirs because God gave it to them. Okay? I, I, like I said, these aren't trick questions. These are really just, just as straightforward and simple as they seem but it, because I want us to see something. So God tells them to go in and possess the land. He tells them, I have given you the land. Right? And then He says to go and possess it. So He's given it to them and they have to go in now and possess it. In other words, He's given the land to the children of Israel, Right? But they still had to go in and possess it and establish themselves and they still had to subdue it in order to dwell in and enjoy the promised land that God had given them. They had to go in and actually do something based on what He told them in order to dwell in the promise, to enjoy what He had given them. And, 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 and so in Numbers 13.25, it talks about the spies going out. It says, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They brought back these huge grapes and they said, this is the fruit of the land. And everybody's going, whoa. And thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. So it is what God said. It is just as good as He promised. We went there and we saw with our own eyes that it really does flow with milk and honey. That it really does have fruit larger than what we've ever seen before in our lives. And oh, by the way, God said you will enjoy the fruit of vineyards that you didn't plant and you'll drink from wells that you didn't dig. In other words, all the things that God said were going to be happening in the land and preparing the land for us, everything is exactly what He said. And by the way, this is the same God who told us to leave Egypt and said that they would be giving us their riches and people chased us out of Egypt stuffing gold in our pockets. This is the same God who told us to march towards the sea without telling us how we were going to get through, but with a promise that we would, who opened up the sea and we passed through and it engulfed everyone that was pursuing us. This is the same God who told us to march around Jericho. This is the same God who every single day would make manna fall from the sky so that we had something to eat, so that we didn't have to spend our times trying to plant lands because He had no purpose and He had no desire for us to stay where we were. It was a place that we were passing through. He didn't want us to worry about how we were going to irrigate it. He didn't want us to worry about how we were going to farm it. He didn't want us to worry about setting up grain mills and and planting crops and raising livestock because He had no desire for us to stay there. There's sometimes in our lives where we feel like we're in a wilderness and where we feel like, you know, we're just living by faith and God's just having to lead every single step. It's because He has no desire for you to stay in that place. He doesn't want you to plant crops. He doesn't want you to dig wells. He doesn't want you to to have to worry about how you're going to make everything happen. He just wants you to trust Him as you pass from one place to another. And this is what He did for the Israelites, okay? So this is what He did for these people. They had seen this already. How much of that makes natural sense? The oceans parting and, and them walking through and then it closing it up, up and engulfing the chariots. of How much of that makes sense? How much of manna falling from the sky every day and oh, by the way, only enough that you can eat for today. You can't store it up, otherwise it goes bad. Why? Because God had no desire for them to get beyond their ability and their need to trust Him every single day. He never wanted them to store up so that they could rely on what they had in storage versus having to trust that every single day He would provide. He never wants us to bank things with Him. What He did yesterday can encourage you in what He's going to do today, but you can't live off what He did yesterday. His desire is that you would live. Give us this day our daily bread. 
So God every day gives fresh manna to them and every day the manna that He gave would no longer sustain them for the next day. Why? He never wanted them to be able to trust in themselves and to lean on their own understanding and in all their ways acknowledge them and they would lead their paths. He desired that every single day they would live by faith. He's trying to teach them something this whole time in the wilderness. He's trying to teach them, if you will just trust me and obey me, I'll protect you and provide for you. And He wants to teach them this before they get to the promised land because when they enter into the promised land, they're going to have to really believe it because it's going to be the biggest test of all. But by now, I mean, how many of us, just being honest, just thinking about yourself, if you saw God destroy Egypt the way He did with the plagues, if you saw the people pursue you and chase you down and stuff money in your clothes, if you saw God open up the ocean and let you through and swallow up the Egyptians, if you saw God cause the walls of a giant city that you had no ability to overtake fall while you marched around it and shouted. If you saw these things happen, and if every day you woke up and God had provided new food for you, by the time you got to Canaan, how many of you guys think that if you went into the land, it wouldn't have mattered what you saw? Right? I would sure hope so. How many of us, being real honest, you guys, know a lot of the promises in the Word? but live our lives as if they don't apply to us or there's no way that God will and try to do it on our own. See, it's easy to point the finger at the spies. It's easy to say, well, you know, after God, everything He did. Listen, God's done a lot for each and every one of us. He has no intention of us forgetting about that and facing the next trial as if we have to do it on our own. But this is what happens, right? They stand before the people. They say the land looked good. Everything God promised is there. Here's the fruit, but... The people are big and the cities that guard it are huge and fortified and the land is rough. And there's nothing wrong with them pointing out these things as long as they were doing so in faith and saying, so how's God going to deliver? What's God going to do this time? There's nothing wrong with pointing out the cities, the size of the people or the, or the, the harshness of the land as long as it wasn't a reason God couldn't do what He promised. It was an expectation of how is God going to do exactly what He said. See, some people live in life and they think that just to, 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 to say, well, this is what I see, this is what's going on, is a lack of faith. It has nothing to do with faith. You're pointing out what, the, what it looks like, what reality is showing you. The problem is, is when that becomes a reason God can't, then there's something wrong. Then there's a the lack of faith. It would have been no problem if they would have came back with the report and said, you know what, it's exactly like God said, but... There are some big people in the land. There are huge cities in the land. It is a harsh land, so God's really going to have to do something here, and I can't wait to see what it is. So I wonder how it's going to do it this time. There's no problem with that. The problem is, is they came back, and they gave the report, and a little while later, they say, we can't do it. We can't do it. We're not able. They're too big. They're too strong. Even after Caleb reminds them that God said to go in and possess the land. There was just two things they couldn't do. One was to be paralyzed by fear and two was to not act on what God had told them to do, which was to go and possess the land. That was it. Two requirements. All they had to do was trust and obey. Not be paralyzed by fear, but act. You guys, faith always will lead to action. 
faith will always lead to action. Action doesn't prove our faith, but, 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 but action is born out of our faith. So here's all they would have had to do. They would have just had to say, we went in there, we saw the land, there's a lot of people in there. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we trust God because He's never let us down. He hasn't failed and He won't start now. And they go walk into the land and well, who knows what God would have told them to do. Who knows what God would have done. He said, I'm going to drive them out like a hornet before you. Over and over again, He said these things, right? That's all they had to do was just trust Him and do what He called them to do. After everything He's done, it shouldn't be that hard when they get to that place, right? Well, before we get too, too down on the people of Israel, Galatians 3, You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, they started out in faith. The Israelites started out with faith. They just left Egypt on a word from God and trusting Him with every single step of the way. They went and they passed through the sea. They, they conquered the cities. They drove out. They saw God perform and provide. And they saw the fire and they saw the smoke and all these things. And by this point, they should have been so full of faith that someone standing between them and the land that God had promised that they were going to possess shouldn't have been even a bit of a challenge. There should have been no question in their minds of what God's going to do. And so many times our lives look just like the Israelites where Paul says, you started out by faith. How are you now trying to earn it by works? See, because what was started by faith was supposed to be completed by faith. What started as a faith journey was supposed to end as a faith journey. Somewhere along the way, they started looking at themselves and thinking of how they were going to have to do this and measuring up the people and the harshness and the fortresses and all those things. And, and here's the thing. If we're not careful, we'll miss out on living in the best of God's promises for us because we can't conceive of how it's possible and because we won't allow ourselves to imagine living a life that goes beyond our own abilities to live. We'll be stuck just on this side of the river, looking over, knowing what God's promised, but paralyzed in fear because of what we see. Yeah, but you don't know my situation. I don't need to. Because God's promise is totally separate and irrelevant of your situation. He never said that His plans for you were good unless you do this or you do that. He never said that, I know the plan I have for you. It's to bless you and not to harm you. Unless you screw up and do this, this, or this. There's no asterisk at the end of that verse. It's always that His plan for you is to bless you and not to harm you, to prosper you, to give you an expected hope and a future. There's nothing in there that says, unless you do this, unless you do that. The only thing that is asked of us is that like Abraham, we have faith. And then we act according to our faith. That's it. Seems simple, right? Every one of us right now is exercising our faith in the chair we're sitting on. Unproven. Just by trust. Just by faith. How many of us actually won't do something unless we know for a fact that it's going to happen or that we can actually do it in our own strength? And so we limit the life that we let ourselves live to what we're capable of doing or accomplishing. This is what the Israelites did, and this is what Paul's writing to the church at Galatia. 
All that would have happened, had to happen as the children of Israel is to mix faith with the hearing of God's Word. Just mix a little bit of faith. That's what Paul said in Hebrews. I believe you wrote Hebrews. He said, because they heard the same Word that you and I heard preached, but they didn't mix faith with it. In other words, they heard it and they knew it. They could say it. They could finish the verse. They could quote it, but they didn't mix faith with it. They didn't actually believe it to the point that they acted upon it. Because if they would have believed it to the point that they acted upon it, they would have went into the land. They would have looked around like Caleb did. They would have said, yep, there's, there's people in here, but they don't matter. I see this and I see that and I want this land and I want that land because when they got back to the land, Caleb said, I want this land over here, which is where the biggest of the giants dwelt. It's also where the best of the land was. Why? Because Caleb was there to actually look around and determine what he was going to do when God gave him what he had promised. Not figure out if God was capable. God doesn't want us to find out if He's capable. He wants us to act as if He is. God's never called you to prove whether He's capable. He's never called you to defend Him. He's just called you to act as though He's trustworthy and to live as though He is. Yeah, we all agree with that, right? But then we go back to what I was asking about when we began the message. Do we really believe that the truth sets people free? So when we come into a situation, every time we're confronted with something, do we open our mouths and declare the truth of God's Word, even if we know for a fact the person's going to reject it? Even if we know for a fact the person might get angry, even if we know for a fact that the person may have been through a situation in their lives which is going to cause them to flare up and say something nasty to us. Even if we know for a fact that they may mock us and ridicule us. Do we really, really trust that what Jesus said is true and that the only thing that can set them free is the truth? Or do we kind of scout it out, make a report in our minds and determine whether we're going to act on what Jesus called us to act on? based on what we think or what we've seen. You hear so much nowadays, right? Like, I don't have to do anything. God does it all. Truth is that God gave them the land, but then He told them to go possess it. He said, I'll drive them out before you. Go drive them out. Jesus says to His disciples, These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Yet a little bit later, Paul says to fight the good fight of faith. So which is it? That we have an enemy that has to be fought or that Jesus has already defeated everyone? Yes. Yes. Jesus said, in me. That's a covenant term. Remember we talked about whenever Jesus says in me, he's talking about in covenant with me. So Jesus is saying these things. He says, later he's, he's reading and, I mean, he's praying in John 17. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Yet that they may also be in us, so that the word, the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus says to every one of us, you guys will face tough times, but take heart because I've already overcome the world. There's giants in the land. Go in and defeat the giants because I've already defeated them. It requires something from us. It's not just sit back and say, well, if God wants it to happen, it will. God wanted it to happen. He told the people, I want you to possess the land. I've given it to you. Yet only two of them were actually able to go in and possess the land like God desired. Why? Because those two had faith and acted as if God's promises were true. 
What if there's a lot of things in our lives that God desires for us to have and that He desires for us to possess that are just waiting on us to believe that He really does and then act as if it's true? What if the promise has already been made and the part that's left up to us is the faith and to actually live as though it's true? It's that way with the people of Israel who are His people, right? And He says, I'm giving you this land. I have given you this land. Now go in and possess this land. Their faith caused action. Their lack of faith caused the lack of action. It's the same thing in our lives. We have so many promises from God, but if we don't mix the promise that we know with faith, it does us nothing. It profits us nothing. And we'll find ourselves missing out on things that God truly desires for us to have because we don't have the faith to actually believe it and live as though it's true. And then we blame God and say, well, but if God, then He... How many of the Israelites that didn't go into the land had the right to blame God for not going in? None. He said, I gave you all this land. I desire for you to have it. I'm done saying we're going to talk about this next week because I've said that for three weeks now. (laughs) And I had someone come to me and say, you said that three weeks in a row. I'm trying to get there, I promise you. He's just not quite letting me yet and i think the reason that we're not there this week is because of this we're about to talk about the covenant and the promises that we have from god but honestly those promises do absolutely nothing for us if we don't mix the hearing of the word of god with faith and live our lives as though it's true in fact all it then will be is knowledge that stacks up against us and be used to judge us because we didn't do what we were required with it to whom much is given much is required right we hear that all the time and 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 we we always want to put that to talents right so if someone has a musical gift well they should be singing in church right because to whom much is given much will be required the truth is to every one of us much has been given because god loved you enough to send his son for you that's a little bit bigger deal than a musical talent so if you've been given much then much will be required of you we can't sit back and just live life, case or or whatever will be, will be, and act like everything that happens is what God desires when we can read all throughout the Bible that God desired for things to happen in His people's lives and their lack of faith and their lack of ability to act kept them from living and dwelling and enjoying it. All throughout the Bible, He makes promises and says, I'm doing this for you, I'm giving this to you, and yet people's lack of faith kept them from living in and dwelling in it and enjoying the promise. Now, I don't want to see that happen to us. So I want to say that, that as, we're, as we go through these things and we start talking about the promises of the covenant, you have to understand something. These promises have been there and will be there till the end of time, but it's going to take you putting actual faith and mixing faith with the word that you hear preached to see it actually take root and produce fruit in your lives. It's not just an automatic thing that God does because if that was the case, every one of the children of Israel would have lived in the land of Canaan all their lives. But unfortunately, Paul says, So now we see that they could not enter because of their unbelief. God gave them the land. He told them to go in. Yep. (laughs) Me and my wife are still working on signals. (laughs) Sometimes I think I'm so obvious and she's looking at me like, But I just want to, I want to close up with this, uh, and, and, I, and I promise you next week we are, well, I, I'm not even going to promise. I think next week, well, I'm not, because what if he changes his plan or changes my mind, right? 
But this is, uh, <laughs> I want to say this, that, that, that we are at some point going to get into talking about the actual details of the covenant and why God chose covenant and what he promised and the steps of the covenant and how they relate to us in the New Testament. How they relate to us in the new covenant and what God's promise that he made to Abraham means for you and I today and, and how that all carries through and the, the, the thread of covenant that weaves throughout everything. But I just want to say this, as we prepare to learn this stuff, we have to understand something, that there's an obligation that comes with hearing the truth and that is that we combine it with faith and then live our lives as though it's true. You can't say, I believe something and then not live your life as if it's true. You can say it but you don't believe it. That's why it says that if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, not confess with your mouth. Because words coming out of our mouth mean nothing if it's not something that we actually believe in our heart. If we hear these things, we hear the promises that God's made to us, but we don't combine it with faith and we look around and we say, yeah, well, that sounds good, but... And like the spies that went into the land, we say, well, I know what God has promised, but... And start listing off all the reasons that God can't do what He said He would do. We'll spend our lives like the children of Israel outside of where God wants us to live, outside of the promised land, unable to enter in and enjoy what what He's given to us. And it's not His fault. I know, it'd be so much easier if I could just stand up here and preach that everything that happens in your life is what God wants, and if He wants it to happen in your life, that it will. The promise is that the Scripture doesn't bear that out. Otherwise, nothing would be required of you. They heard the Gospel, Paul says, just like you and I heard preached. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. It did nothing for them because they didn't take the word that they heard and mix it with faith, which would have caused them to live as though it's true. Caleb goes into the land and he looks around and, and, and he, he doesn't deny that those things are there. When the, when the spies come back and say the people are huge and the, the cities are fortified and the land is harsh, Caleb doesn't sit up and say, no, it's not. The people aren't that big. The cities aren't that huge and fortified. The land's not really that harsh. He doesn't deny anything that they said. He just stands there in the face of what they're saying and says, surely we should go in and possess the land for we are able. He uses that word possess. Why? Because that was the same word that God had spoken to them. Go in and possess the land. And he fully understood that if God had commanded them to do something, that God would make the way possible for it to be done. There's got to be a level of faith that is able to see what is surrounding us and yet still believe the promise of God in spite of it. Because God calls those things which are not as though they are. But He's not a man that He should lie. It means there must be truth that's greater than what we see. If God's not a man that He should lie, and yet He calls things that are not as though they are, then there must be a truth that's far greater than what we see, what we can touch. God, I, th- I thank You for Your Word. God, I just I ask that You would just Help us to every single day combine faith with what we know. God, to live our lives based on Your promises and on Your truth and not so much of what we see 
or what we fear. God, I ask that none of us would just sit back and let life come to us. God, that we would be content, but that we would be hungry. That we would continue to knock and seek and ask, but that we would remain joyful in the process because of faith in You. God, that our deciding whether You're trustworthy or not wouldn't be based on what we see, but it would be based on who You are. I thank You for Your Word. Thank you for who you are and who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, yeah. Nice. I love that people like to give enough that they remind me to do the offering when we forget to do it. Um, Yeah, you guys can take up the offering right now. Um, While they're taking that up, we are going to be having our marriage classes starting back up in September. The date for the first one uh, will be announced. We're waiting for everyone to get back from vacations and kind of into a rhythm with school and stuff. Um, our kids are going back to school this, this week, those that are in the Greenville County school system. Some kids have already started. I ask that you guys would pray for them as they go into their schools. Pray that they would live their lives by faith, that they would speak truth to people, that everywhere they are, they would bring the kingdom of God. Um, I just... I hope I don't come across as frustrated, you guys, but sometimes I I see this word and it challenges me so much because I see it in my own life that there's so many things that I know that if I'm being completely honest, I don't always live my life 100% as though they're true. And and I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that in my life and I don't want to see that in your lives. I want us to be people who live by faith. I want us to be people that hear the word and then live our lives as though it's true no matter what we see in front of us. No matter how big the giants are, no matter how rough the land is, no matter how fortified the cities are. I want us to be people that live by faith that way. I want us to be people that respond and mix the preaching of the Word with faith so that we see fruit in our lives. And so if you, if, if, if you see me kind of just a little bit like, ah, oh, with this, it's because as I'm preaching this to you guys, it's convicting me. I'm not preaching it as a guy that's at the top of the hill and has arrived and is telling you how to climb. I'm I'm speaking it and preaching it as someone who's climbing the hill with you guys. Who sees the 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 lack, and it's not to point out who I'm not. It's it's to challenge us with who we're called to be. It's not to be discouraged and say this is who I'm not. It's to challenge us and excite us about who we're called to be. But there is a tension there. There is a tension where we live in in knowing the promise of God, but also knowing what we see and knowing what's real in our lives and knowing what's real in the lives of other people. There's a tension when you meet with people who have an addiction or are struggling with something and you speak the Word of God to them fully believing that it will set them free the way it set you free, and yet the next week they're back in the same thing again. There's a tension there. There, There's this, 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 this thing that makes you want to get discouraged, but there's the faith in God that keeps you from being discouraged and keeps you saying, I know He will. How will He? I just want to, I just want to get there to where I see it all the time. Where when we speak that word, it's like boom and it breaks it right then. I don't want to be thinking about the 15 times that it hasn't when I go to talk to the person that time. I want to be thinking about the promise of God and that only. I don't want to be looking at the giant while I'm speaking to it. I want to be thinking about the giant that stands behind me named Jesus who goes before me named Holy Spirit. I'm serious, you guys. I just want it so badly. 
And so yeah, there is a little bit of frustration, but it's a good frustration. It's a good tension. It's not frustration, I guess. It is, there's a tension there where I just know that there's more the, the, that God's promised to us and I can't wait to see us walk into it. And yet I want it today. Amen. But I will be joyful in the waiting because I know if He promised it, then it's coming. Love you guys. Find some people you don't know before you leave. Say hey to them. Um, we have youth group next Sunday night. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun doing our Vine competitions last week. We did. You weren't there. <laughs> um, but it was fun. Anyways. I know. Fred wasn't either. And uh, I told him to tell you my disappointment with you was at an all-time high. Just at an all-time high. But that'll be next week. Um, we have an awesome time of worship and teaching. Um, we're going through the book of Ephesians together. Scott will be bringing the word this next week. Looking forward to that. So come, bring some friends with you, middle school and high school age people. Find people you don't know. Say hey to them, and we'll see you guys back soon. Love you guys.